magic makers. I am so honored that today's guest joins us on Find Your Magic Today, the podcast where mental health and entrepreneurship meet, but also where we have conversations that I believe contribute to our overall wellness. We're not just about business here. We're about our entire holistic life experience which is why I am so humbled, as I said, and excited to share this conversation with my guest, Meg Tenick, who is the founder of Viral Sensation website, Every Queer, and the brand Every Queer. Again, we're keeping the Pride Month celebrations going this June, but we also want to encourage people to take the resources that we give during Pride Month and apply them at any time of year, which is why I'm so excited to share about the resource that Meg has built. So Every Queer is a space for LGBTQ people to find resources for life experiences, for travel, for just cultural experiences that feel useful and authentic and help them feel safe as they face a unique set of difficulties when exploring and seeing and experiencing the world around them. The policies and social acceptance of the queer community varies widely from country to country, but as Meg says, the reality is that safety is still a huge concern for people when an LGBTQ identity is illegal in 70 plus countries around the world. And so as a lesbian woman herself, she is hoping to lead by example um, and inspire other LGBTQ to seek out adventures around the world. So in this conversation, we're really talking about how people in the rainbow community have faced a unique set of difficulties and circumstances historically and currently, and how we as straight allies can, A, get better at learning more about the world around us so that we can contribute positively, and also how we can put our money where our mouth is. How can we go out into the world and ensure we're not just rainbow washing something? How can we make sure we fully understand the historical significance of Pride Month. I learned so much in this conversation with Meg. How can we be sure to support marginalized communities, especially when people are marginalized in multiple ways? For example, Black, trans, gay people have multiple marginalized identities on top of the other? And how can we be sure to support from multiple angles our friends in those marginalized communities? So thank you for your patience. Anyone who is in marginalized communities with me as I continue to open myself up to learn and grow, I've always come from conversations like this with the attitude that it's better to have the conversations and be vocal about our values and our beliefs rather than stay away from conversations that might feel uncomfy because I don't think they should be uncomfy. I think that we should expose ourselves to people whose stories and experiences are different than ours so that we can have ourselves a beautiful, more, more full life, as well as lift others up with us and use our privilege for a force of good. So with that in mind, I would love to welcome my new friend, Meg, to find your magic. 
Meg, thank you so much for being here on Find Your Magic. I'm so pumped to talk to you. I feel I have so many questions and I'm just, you're being so generous coming on to answer them. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I love doing this kind of thing. It's always fun to meet new people and you know, I love what I do. So I love talking about it too. Speaking of what you do, let's just dive right in. I would love if you would tell the story of how you started Every Queer, why you started it, and maybe what you're getting into now. I know Pride Month is a wild, crazy month. So let's start with how it started. Sure. So I started as a traditional activist, actually. My background is my undergrads in statistics and my master's is in policy. Um, I did activism for some of the largest LGBT nonprofits in the U.S. I worked for the Human Rights Campaign, Trevor Project, and GLSEN, and I focused on LGBT youth issues. Mm. Very long story short, I burned out really, really hard uh, doing suicide prevention for LGBT youth, and yeah. I needed a little bit of a break. Got offered a job in South Korea and started a website. George Takai loved what I did. I don't know if you know who that is. But I do. I famous. do. Yeah, for the listeners who may not know, he's a very famous LGBT activist who uh, was also an actor. He um, was on Star Trek but his family was in a Japanese internment camp during World War II, so he was very politically active. He found my site and started reposting a lot of my stuff, and I went viral and kind of realized, okay, well, I guess I should, I should be doing something with this, and that was in 2012, so it's been quite a while that I've been traveling the world, creating content for LGBTQ people, um, you know, and sharing my experiences with the internet. Man, I just, I love that story so much. And it also is so amazing to me when we have moments where things do go viral. And to me, I love telling those stories of like, quote unquote, regular people, like not a famous person already, um, who already has a platform then finding their, their space on the internet. I love when it is someone with something specific to say, and then other people are like, oh my gosh, thank God me too. Like I really needed this. This was exactly the thing that I didn't know I needed. So I love that story. And also sidebar about George Takei, I saw him in the most incredible musical that I believe he also produced about the Japanese internment camps in World War II. That is another story for another day. And I'm going to write that down to do another episode on that because he's such an amazing example of someone who speaks up um, and doesn't hide. I think a lot of actors, uh, especially of his generation, felt like they had to hide their sexuality, their history in order to whitewash themselves. And I just, I have such respect for him and anyone in his position who does what he does. No, I totally agree. I feel like people with a platform who use their platform to go beyond themselves, like that's what I aspire towards. And it's interesting. I was talking to another influencer recently who has a much larger, I'm talking millions of uh, followers than I do, um, who actually kind of accidentally went viral and created her own following. Um, but what she does is pretty different. We're having conversations about like the business side of things. And I said like, well, what's your why? And she kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? And I like thought about it and I was like, is it not usual to have a why? Because I've always had a why. And my why is the community. Like I started this because I realized there was no information for particularly for queer women about traveling Mm. the world. And because, you know, we're multiple minorities, and especially when you're talking, you know, intersectionality from a perspective of different races and ethnicities and religions within like the queer women community, travel can be daunting and scary. And, And I wanted to be able to be like, not only 
look at me, I can do it. So can you, but also here's how you can do it. And here's why you should do it. And here's how you can do it the best way possible. And so for me, my why has always been about passing information and creating spaces for queer women. And it still is, you know, 15 years later to this day, but I think I have the most respect for creators who have a very dialed in why, like, why are you doing this? What's your message behind this? Why does this matter? Not that there's anything wrong with you know doing it for the likes, but for me, like, that's what I respect the most online. Well, and isn't it interesting that uh, it's pretty, it's very rare. I see it very, very rarely that somebody actually does achieve the level of success that they're envisioning. If that's, if that's their why, if their why is to go viral, right. Then nine times out of 10, they're not successful. Maybe even higher. You're the statistician, (laughs) but yeah, I would encourage anybody out there who is trying to create something, try to forge their own path, to really actually ask themselves the question, what is my why? Who am I reaching? Why is it important? And when that is driving you, the success will follow. It absolutely will follow. And I also think having like a delusional level of confidence helps as well. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) For sure. Love a delusional level of confidence here for it. I would love if you got into a little bit of the specifics of every queer and the travel aspect, because again, like we were talking a little bit before we hit record when I see something where I'm like, Oh, I've never thought of that. That immediately reflects my privilege back to me. And I would love if you could share a little bit about traveling as a queer woman, why you started really getting into that nitty gritty of how to do it. Um, Because if there are people listening, I would love them to have you as a resource. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, I think for me, I'm a very curious person and I'm very driven by things that are different than what I am and who I am and kind of what I believe in. I think it's so important to step outside of our comfort zone and actually like, so I'm from New York City. Uh, I came out when I was 11. I've always had queer community. I didn't have the easiest coming out story. Um, My parents are actually conservative Southern Baptists. To give you an idea, I have 10 siblings. Um, So, you know, birth control wasn't a strong suit, but that's another conversation. (laughs) Yeah. My mom's the the black sheep of a Mormon family. So I get it. (laughs) But for me, I was very, I realized kind of when I was in this activist place, I was siloing myself into an extremely queer community, um, which was amazing and wonderful for my like identity development and my concept of self. But I kind of woke up one day and realized, oh, wait, the entire world isn't this like aggressively queer pocket of the most liberal city in the richest country in the world. That's not reality for the majority of the world. And I realized if I wanted to be a real activist and I wanted to have real impact on change, one, I needed to get outside the micro and focus on the macro. And two, I needed to not have such an American perspective on what it means to be queer in the world. Um, And so I set off to experience queerness through a lens of other communities and other cultures. So now, I mean, this is 15 years into this, um, I specialize in anti-LGBT destinations. And so I go to a lot of countries that are perceived to be anti-woman or anti-queer or both. And then I wanna be able to tell those stories from the perspective of what it's like being a local person on the ground. And generally speaking, I travel in 
um, with other queer people, with gender nonconforming people, with people who look differently or bring different things um, with their identities to that travel experience, so that I can not only tell my story, but I can tell the stories of other people or uplift the voices of other people who are around me, because I think it's incredibly important. I talk to so many people from the EU or from the UK or from the US who have this perspective of like, well, does this even matter anymore? And then I'm like, well, guys, it's illegal to be queer in 70 countries and punishable by death in 10. Um, so our perspective of this Western world of like, you know, the uh, Coca-Cola sponsored pride float is certainly not happening in places like Egypt, where it's one of the most, I would call it the most LGBT friendly, anti-LGBT country. But, it, you know, we're talking about places like Bhutan or we're talking about most of the Middle East or a lot of uh, African nations where, you know, you can't even live openly, you can't even tell people that you're queer, let alone have a Coca-Cola sponsored pride float, you know, and so it's like there's levels to it. Um, and that's really been my mission and all of this is being able to talk about travel. And of course, you know, I was in, I was at Universal Studios last week doing like a press trip. So I do regular stuff too, you know, or I have lots of stuff that's around Europe or um, you know, and our team goes to different destinations in the United States or in places that are super LGBT affirming, but it's, it's about balance and like we're not only limited to those trips where they're in countries that have marriage equality, we are, we can, we should go anywhere that we want to be in the world because some of the most culturally rich and beautiful travel experiences are in countries where it's illegal to be gay, like we're talking the pyramids of Giza, we're talking the like Bali and everything that Bali has to offer. You know, we're, we're talking safari. We're talking all of these incredible travel experiences that you shouldn't be denied because of who you love or how you view your gender. Absolutely. So magic makers, back when I was freelancing full time and I only had one-on-one -on -one clients, I was in such a pickle because I really didn't understand how I was going to be able to scale my business and be able to actually make money without literally putting more hours in my day. I was so burnt out. I was so exhausted. I didn't know what to do. I hated having to hunt for clients every single month. And I am not exaggerating when I tell you the best thing I did in my business, looking back over the last three years is create a signature digital course. And I host that course on Kajabi. Kajabi is a sponsor of this podcast, but I would talk about them till the cows come home anyway, because they literally completely changed the way that I do business and have allowed me to pursue the projects that I really want to pursue because I just make money on autopilot. Now my course is out into the world. It was so easy to create and launch because not only do they have the best customer support I've ever seen in my life, but you can actually build marketing funnels and email funnels and like anything that you can possibly think of that you would need as a support for your online course, it's already on Kajabi and they show you exactly how to do it. So if you're like me and you're technology averse, Kajabi is literally the best 
option for you. And I shopped around and I am so happy I landed with Kajabi. It's the number one most trusted knowledge commerce platform for a reason. So if you want a 30-day free trial, head to kelseyformost.com slash Kajabi. That's kelseyformost.com slash K-A-J-A-B-I. God, you said so many things that blew my mind right there, especially 70 countries where it's still illegal to be gay. And as a straight, white, cis woman, it's just not something that I think about unless I really actively question or force myself to do my research, do my learning. Ignorance is privilege. Yeah. And so I thank you for sharing all of that because that is, it's very easy to get complacent. It's, it's, even if you're an ally, maybe especially if you're an ally, it's very easy to get complacent and to forget that there's huge, huge parts of the world where people just don't have freedoms, resources, um, support. I mean, what, and I also really want to call out what a beautiful thing that you are including people of other minorities and other um, representations because like gender identities and um, different communities, because I would, I would imagine that those situations affect each minority a little bit differently. Of course, of course. Well, and depending on what country you're traveling in, I think especially Americans think that the rest of the world looks like America where it's pretty diverse and there's different people, but there's lots of countries. Like I lived in South Korea, which is a completely homogenous country, less than 1% of people living in South Korea are not South Korean. And the majority of that 1% are from other Asian nations. So when you have expatriates coming and living in places like South Korea or visiting places, you stand out a lot, but that's also true for a lot of countries in Europe and other countries around the world. Like um, a lot of African nations as well, you know, so understanding that what you look like, how you present yourself, how you identify is going to impact your travel experience. And just accepting that is super important to going to other places. You know, I was recently in uh, South Africa with a group of queer people as well. And, you know, I was traveling with two black American gay men and having a lot of conversations about the intersectionality of their travel and their content and, you know, they're both media people and how they view and see the world. And that is wildly different than some of the, you know, Black American queer women that I've traveled with in the past versus, you know, people who are gender minorities in that they are either transgender or non-binary. You know, the experiences that you have are going to be dramatically different depending on where you are, unfortunately, how well you pass as straight or cis and how much you blend in with the country. It doesn't necessarily mean not blending in is going to make it a bad experience. You know, I've been in different places. I was in Jordan, obviously. I am a, you know, white ginger woman. I'm obviously not Middle Eastern, but I was treated with the utmost respect. And, you know, I was traveling with a non-binary person who was very gender ambiguous and people were beautiful and lovely and welcoming and accommodating. And I don't necessarily think that people immediately jump, oh, Middle Eastern travel, that's LGBT and women friendly. But my experience in Jordan was a million percent that. That's amazing. I would love, God, listening to you talk, I'm like, how would that produce an internal conflict of like being safe by blending in versus having pride in your identity? Oh, absolutely. And that's the decision that I have to make every single day of my life, whether I'm in New York City or not. 
that is reality as a queer woman. I'll give you an example in context of my own city. You know, there's a lot of situations where I am out at a bar, I'm with a mixed crowd, you know, guy approaches me, is hitting on me, and I have to make the decision, do I tell him I'm gay and potentially open myself up for violence or aggressive eroticized lesbianism? Because a lot of straight men think lesbian immediately jumped to porn. And so that happens in my own city, let alone in the context of other countries where I may not speak the language or I may be in an unfamiliar place, or it may not be, you know, as friendly to women um, as some parts of the world. So yeah, that is every day as a queer woman, but obviously a little bit elevated in some contexts and situations. So I make choices, especially when I'm traveling alone, um, to combat that. Like I usually do not go late out at out late at night, never alone. You know, I don't drink as much alcohol, those kind of things, or choose not to drink alcohol depending on where I am and whether alcohol is accepted in that particular country. So, you, you know, you have to think about these things, but a solo straight woman traveling would have to think some of those things as well. Like I said, it's how you're presenting yourself and what your background is um, impacts the choices you make in travel. Absolutely. And beyond travel, you're so right. I think that that is something that not a lot of, again, like sort of that privileged gaze, the hypervigilance. I have a really, really close family member who is a gay man. He's in his fifties. He and his partner have been together for almost 30 years. They're incredible. And I remember them describing the hypervigilance that they needed to have in order to feel safe, accepted, normal. They were like, even though in the moment we seem like two quote unquote normal guys, understand that under the surface, there are like beautiful mind calculations, like the guy in beautiful mind where he's like got the whiteboard and he's like, if this, then that, and the strings are all connected and yada, yada, that's going on inside us at all times. Like, unless we're in a community, like even now, even today, even with a lot of acceptance, you know, gay marriage is not that like, it's been, it hasn't been around that long. Right. Like the, I was listening to a conversation I would love your perspective on this. I was listening to a conversation um, about sort of this shift over the last couple of years of, um, I believe they called it like the old Navy brand of pride where (laughs) now it's like, you know, rainbows are everywhere and it's like, yay, happy it's June. And, you know, there's a little bit of that happening here. I can absolutely, you know, own that, that it's pride month and I want to uplift queer voices, but it's also important to uplift queer voices during the rest of the year. How do you feel about pride specifically and how can people beyond pride, beyond pride month, I should say, beyond old Navy slap a rainbow on at pride, how can people look to support the queer community beyond the month of June? First and foremost, thank you for asking this question, but I want to lead my answer for all of the folks who may not know this um, listening. We have pride because of Black transgender sex workers. Full stop. We would not have pride without these trans women starting a conversation in the 1960s. Um, There's something called the Stonewall Riots. Most people I think are pretty familiar, but in case you are not, in the 60s in most of the big cities, this was true for New York City, it was true for San Francisco, it was true for Los Angeles, it was illegal for gay people to assemble. And so the mob saw an opportunity, they bought a bunch of gay bars, allowed gay people to assemble and have community spaces. 
obviously the drinks were watered down and terrible and they were paying off the cops and everything about this was illegal and shady as hell. Um, but it was the only way for queer people to come together and feel safe and have spaces for us. So then what would end up happening, the cops would tip off the mob, hey, we're going to come raid your bar. And this would typically happen around political lobbying seasons or election seasons, where they would want to clean up different places. And so they would target homeless people and LGBT people and criminals, because those were all the same category in the mind of the politicians at the time. They would tip them off, come raid the bars, and then anyone who was caught in the bar would be arrested and then outed. Typically the daily, the daily news would run photos of anyone who had been arrested for homosexual activity. So then all of these people would lose their families and lose their jobs. And there was actually an incident that happened a few weeks before the Stonewall riots where this happened at another bar in New York City and several people jumped from the second story of the bar and landed on a fence, like a spiked fence, and impaled themselves and died. Because in their mind, it was better to die than it was to be outed and lose everything that they had. So like when we're talking about pride, we have to talk about the context of which pride was born. Um, and it, at Stonewall, what happened that night was it was a particularly devastatingly sweltering night in June. So many bars had been raided. These people had died at a bar raid a few weeks before. The community was in mourning. It was also the same day as Judy Garland's funeral, who was one of the few queer icons. Her funeral was happening a few blocks away in upper Manhattan. And these queer people were just sad and tired and outraged. And then the Stonewall was raided. And all of these young, homeless, gender non-conforming black and brown kids said, fuck this. Oh, sorry. Can we, I don't know if we can curse on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> fuck it. Yes. Yeah. Fuck this. Yes. <laughs> they were just like, we're done. We're done. And the, the like young people who were at this bar, they lived in the area and the police were not, they were bussed in from outer boroughs or from Long Island or from other areas to deal with this problem of homosexuality and for three days these kids fought back and they won and that's why we have pride and then every year following that year we realized okay well we need to be visible so I think a lot of straight people think of pride as a parade right or like the rainbow ariela target these days but the reality is pride is a protest pride is an activist moment pride is an educational opportunity Pride is a community gathering. Pride is a celebration. And pride is an opportunity for us to come together. A lot of queer people are disowned from our families. We have no connection um, to our families of origin. And so we form our own families and our own communities. And pride is that opportunity for our family reunion. We come together to mourn the losses, to celebrate the victories and see everyone that's in our family. Um, and I think unless you are have experienced that by uh, you know someone that you love or are part of the community it's kind of hard to understand that but then it's also we are still a marginalized community in so many areas like you know the difference between pride in New York City and pride in a small town in Arkansas where they have similar laws to Egypt like they are anti-LGBT propaganda laws on the book and in on the books and Florida's don't say gay bill like are a snowball effect for losing like innumerable amounts of rights and just human dignity in a lot of these places. So there are nuances to these pride celebrations. Like I attended a pride in Kyiv in the Ukraine where there were Molotov cocktails thrown into the crowd. I've attended pride in Barcelona, which is absolutely insane and families with their kids show up and it's 
the funnest, best party for like the whole summer. And there's a billion variations in between. But when we're talking about corporate sponsored pride, it's a really interesting conversation because statistically speaking, the LGBT community is seen as privileged, but depending on who you are in the LGBT community, uh, that's dramatically different. But for example, um, gay men in the United States make 31% more income per household than a straight couple. Uh, gay women, it's 27% more. Um, so we are, wow. we're often considered dual income, no kids. Sure, there are LGBT families that does exist, but statistically speaking, it's still, I think it's a 9% of gay men and 13% of uh, gay women, but- I love the statistician coming to play here. This yeah. is so interesting. Okay, magic maker, I'm going to take this to the basics real quick. If you don't know, copywriting is writing that's designed to make someone take a desired action. That action could be subscribing to your email list or buying a product and everything in between. And yeah, you could hire a professional copywriter every time you need to write something for your business, but that's going to cost you thousands of dollars a year for somebody who's actually good. So why not learn how to write your own high converting copy so that you can write your own emails and write a website once and for all that actually represents who you are and your unique gift that you share with the world and connects with your ideal clients in a way that encourages them to take action. You can learn all of that and more in my signature course, copy class. It's designed for non-writers and entrepreneurs who don't really have time to go through a really extensive numbers, heavy copywriting class. This is for you. If you just want the basics so that you can write your own copy, get a website that converts once and for all that's kelseyforemost.com slash copy class. I've never, I never knew this. Keep going. Oh, I mean, there are of course tons of LGBT families, but for the most part, our community is predominantly dual income, no kill, no kids, high net worth people, which is why all of these corporations are coming out in support of LGBT issues. Like this mm. started with Bill Clinton in 1992 when he was running for election because he knew that gay people were a high net worth, desirable audience base who mm -hmm. are educated and vote. We also have statistically way higher educational aspirations and achievements than straight people because we don't have kids till later on. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of very successful C-suite executives who are in the LGBT community who are able to call the shots of these corporations. Yeah. And then you have all of the PR around LGBT issues that come with it, you know, like that's why you see like Delta Airlines every year coming in with the pride parade because it's less, you know, about the LGBT community and more about the PR opportunity to be seen as progressive, to be seen as forward thinking, to be seen as future oriented. Right. Um, but you know what, like, as long as that pride float comes with a donation to one of these LGBT nonprofits that are creating change around the world, I'll take your Delta Airlines money and do good things <laughs> with it. Like, yeah. I'm happy to see that. And there are, a, there's a lot of misconception about corporate donations. So one of the ones that's like one of my big pet peeves, but <laughs> we'll go here. A few years ago, Procter & Gamble did a campaign where they donated, I believe it was 
10% of all of their product range. So we're talking everything from like Listerine to Colgate to shampoo to soap to literally all of the stuff that they make. Hundreds of brands. Yeah. Yeah. They made 10% of them rainbow because at the time that was the statistic was that 10% of people were rainbow. So then they donated all of the proceeds to the rainbow mouthwash to various LGBT organizations. And a few of them that I've worked for like Glisten, which focuses on LGBT youth issues in schools, which is still incredibly needed. But then all of the memes on the internet are like, why do you need gay mouthwash? And it's like, okay, maybe like it didn't need to be rainbow packaging, or maybe it could have been a slightly less obnoxious design (laughs) graphic designer who created it, but we're still giving 10% of thousands and thousands of products. We're talking millions of dollars to LGBT nonprofits and charities. So like, yeah, it's gotten a little bit out of hand, you know, every, I get hundreds of press releases around Mm -hmm. like, oh, over every brand in the world is doing some rainbow product. And there's a lot of them that don't actually give any money to charity. And there's a lot of them that are, you know, not doing the right thing, but there are so many of them that are, and Target is another example. Like Target is, has been walking the walk and talking the talk since before it was the thing to do. Like, Mm. You know, I were in 2009, I worked for the human rights campaign. And then in 2010, when I was working at the Trevor project, they were sponsoring youth pride when most of the states had a neutrality policy where you couldn't even talk about LGBT issues in schools. And Target was like, you know what, we're going to sponsor pride for kids. And that is was so like, now it doesn't seem like that crazy, but that was so progressive and so forward thinking. And they've been giving money and time and resources for 15, 20 years now. So like, you know what, Target, do your thing and have your cringy rainbow dog tutus in the pet section or whatever you're going to do, as long as you're doing the good work too. And they are. I love that. And I love that as a barometer, perhaps that we can incorporate into our own lives, especially if we ourselves are not part of the rainbow community. Um, make sure we're walking the walk as much as we are talking the talk. Yes. Have the conversations. Yes. Call attention to the issues yes, ask questions, but at the same time, like put your money where your mouth is, put your support where your mouth is. I love that. I love that as a barometer for all of us. And last thing I want to ask you about is I mentioned this before we hit record. You have a beautiful post up about Juneteenth and pride and the intersection there. Again, just something I hadn't thought about before. And I would love to know from your perspective when marginalized communities overlap, when it's like you're doubling down on being othered. And in particular, you know, this episode is going to come out, I believe, on Juneteenth. How can we have both conversations and ensure that those in the Black LGBTQ community have support from both sides? Well, and that is a lot of the conversations that I do. I do a lot of diversity and inclusion work with brands. So Mm -hmm. every queer is a media company, but we're also a consulting firm. So we do a lot of consulting on how, essentially how not to fuck up a pride campaign or an LGBT (laughs) campaign. It's like loosely how it is. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the first conversations that we have is that there is this stereotype of like people, first of all, LGBT is not a real thing. That's a marketing term, right? Mm. Like that didn't sound great to be like gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender and this and that. So they needed Mm. something to work in advertising and marketing. 
So in the 90s, they came up with the term LGBT because then it became a niche demographic. But when you think LGBT, a lot of people picture a gay white man on a private jet. They don't picture LGBT as this diverse and nuanced community filled with different people of different genders and different racial and ethnic backgrounds and different classes and growing up in different areas. There is a very dialed in image of what LGBT is. And that's the first thing that we try to combat when we're talking to brands and working with different people. What does LGBT look like? LGBT looks like the two of us. LGBT looks like a black trans couple. LGBT looks like an Asian couple. LGBT looks like two Middle Eastern men, right? Like LGBT looks like everyone. And I think a lot of people forget that, that we are a community that is based around our identity, of course, but it's also based around love and compassion and togetherness and otherness. And when you are a multiple minority, whether it is based off of your race or your religion or your gender, you are being hit with all of these different issues. And I think it is particularly important for the Black community, um, particularly in the United States, because you know we just had this huge conversation about like what a corporate machine Pride Month has been. Why isn't Black History Month like that? And a lot of it is based in stereotypes and it's based in this idea that rich gay people are running the show and Black people are not. And that is just not at all the case. That is not real, it's not statistically accurate, right? Like there is enormous levels in every single community, but particularly when we're talking about the Black community, they have to face white supremacy, which is such a issue, even within the LGBT community, um, that we don't often think about these layers and how things overlap. And like, there are many Black queer people who have made incredible gains throughout history. The one immediately jumps to mind is Bayard Rustin, who um, was Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand man. He led the March on Washington. He was also a gay man. Um, and unfortunately, Martin Luther King's camp had to say, listen, the FBI is threatening to out you, which would discredit the civil rights movement, so we have to remove you from this position. And Bayard Rustin is often erased from history because he was a queer Black man. And there are so many examples of queer Black trans people who have been erased from history or have not had their voices elevated in the same way that white gay people have. And it is absurd when you think about it that like you know one marginalized community is marginalizing another community which is why you know with every queer we try to uplift a variety of different voices and when we're talking about travel content in particular we're talking about it from the perspective of each individual author and so having writers and creators coming forward who are of different ethnicities and different backgrounds and different nationalities because the treatment of somebody who's a black person from Tanzania versus you know, a black queer person from Atlanta, they're gonna have different experiences and different stories when they're traveling and, and different perspectives on identity in general, which is why we try to acknowledge, you know, the queer experience. And we do post things that are US centric because we have about 40% of our audience is American. And we talk about all of those intersectionalities in terms of identities, but we're also acknowledging that, you know, your racial experience is not, a, not universal you know what I mean like a white queer Swedish person is not going to have the same experience as you know a white queer person from Arkansas I keep saying Arkansas I don't know why I'm like big on them but <laughs> you know what I'm maybe saying. it's the like, a it's just like it's the first one in your brain because it's the first one on the list yeah, yeah but that's like the 
the reality is, you know, we need to hold space for the Black community within the queer community and mm. we need to acknowledge it. And, you know, last year in particular, you know, with everything happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and, yeah. you know, with the death of Eric Garner and, and all of that, it was an opportunity for queer people to take a step back and uplift the voices of the Black community and acknowledge the Black community within our own community as well. And I think mm. it is incredibly important to recognize, you know, even as a, a white straight passing, like I'm very feminine, queer mm. woman who has wealth and privilege and is from New York City it is not only my moral obligation, but my personal desire to make sure that I have space for the people that I love and for mm. the people in my community, regardless yeah. of what their race or ethnicity is. Well, and the the book ending, the the amazing sort of through line of black transgender sex workers being the ones who kicked off pride in the first place. And mm-hmm. now we have an opportunity in this moment to lift up that exact community who really started such an important movement for the rest of the gay community and everyone observing on the sidelines too, to, to have the opportunity to join the movement and support it in a very real way. So thank you so much, Meg. Truly, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for this conversation, for a lot of eyes being opened and ears being opened. And there are going to be links to a bunch of different queer supporting charities, um, activist organizations in the show notes below. Um, we're going to promote them all on social media so that myself and any of you who choose to can put your money where your mouth is. I know I am. And please make sure to check out everyqueer.com. Send it around, share it. You know, so much power is in sharing and having conversations. So I encourage anybody listening to have those conversations and to really engage with content in the queer community beyond Pride Month. Like, yes, use this as your springboard and take it through to the rest of the year. (laughs) For sure. And I think like, you know, these conversations can go far and beyond Pride Month in general, but if anybody is listening that wants to make a donation to a really deserving organization, the Alley Forty Center here in New York City is an LGBT homeless youth shelter that specializes in working with a lot of trans kids. So if you want to give back to the community that started Pride and gave us Pride, they're an excellent organization to donate to. Can you spell that for me, Meg? Sure, it's A-L-I. Mm-hmm. F-O-R-N-E-Y. Alley Thank you so much. I'm absolutely going to do that immediately after we hang up. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Meg. And y'all, you can um, follow Meg at Every Queer on Instagram. Where else can people find you? Is Instagram the best spot? Yeah, Every Queer on Instagram. And then I also have a personal Instagram, which is Meg Tenike. It's M-E-G-T-E-N-E-Y-C-K. And then of course, everyqueer.com. Love it. Thank you again so much for this conversation. And we will, uh, I'm so excited to share it with this community. And y'all, if you got something out of it, leave us a comment, leave us a review, connect with us on social media. We would love to talk to you. So thanks again, Meg. And thanks everybody for being here. We will see you next time. 
Hey, Magic Maker. If you made it to the end of this episode, it means you're truly committed to inviting more magic into your life. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and follow Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to this stuff. Each review truly means so much to me. Thank you for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.